All right, what a beautiful day today. What a beautiful weekend. Anybody see the sunsets this week? They were some of the most amazing sunsets I've ever seen in my life in Fishers, Indiana. It's crazy. It's crazy. And as that beauty was setting across the the city or all over the area up here that Connie and her family were kind of waiting patiently for her dad to to meet Christ face to face. He'd been on a probably a 20-year journey. He had a stroke about 20 years ago that stole his speech from him. And then about 15 years ago, macular degeneration stole his uh, vision. And then about two years ago, dementia started stealing his, his thoughts. And so the, the end of that, although it was sad, was really a blessing because the Bible teaches absent from the body is present with the Lord. And so uh, through this time, there's some praising God, some sadness, some joy. Uh, but one of the interesting things is that we can always take with us stories, right? Stories and memories. And uh, Connie's dad and I just, we became pretty good friends. We had a ease about us that we could be kind of honest with each other. And when he stole, his speech was stolen, he could get some words out. But I don't know if you've been around somebody with a stroke or not, but that process is trying to get, they, they have the thought clearly right here, but it just won't come out their mouth, right? And, and it's kind of a, and trying to say what it was, but but our friendship was such that it seemed to me that he was more comfortable getting those thoughts out to me maybe than in other situations. So we ended up, in spite of him losing his speech, had a lot of good conversations. And my mother-in-law is probably one of the smartest, wisest mother-in-laws you could ever ho- hope for because you hear about the conflict that some people have. But mom, um, she, she embraced me as her own from the get-go. And one of the ways she made me feel welcome was she would cook for me to make me feel like a king. See the wisdom in that? The way to get your grandkids to your house is through your son-in-law's belly, right? So we were up early one morning, and Dr. is sitting at the table next to me. Uh, he had a more stringent, rules-based view of Christ than I ever did. And so you could imagine that we might have some instigation going on, a little bit of jabbing back and forth and uh, mom's over there at the stove um, cooking breakfast and I just felt just like stirring the pot at about six o'clock in the morning if that makes sense to you and so DR is sitting over there sipping on his coffee and uh, I said to DR I said hey I said hey DR did you know the Bible says that your wife's supposed to give you plenty of good loving and he looks at me, his eyes jump out about as big as some of your eyes did, and he's like, and like he's want to say, no, it doesn't. And I was like, yeah, it's in there. And he's like, no, <laughs> he couldn't get it out. And, and so I'm just jabbing him a little harder and a little harder. And so I pop open my Bible and I read it to him. And uh, so he's sitting there thinking about it. You can see his eyes and his mind cranking. And so he finally gets it out. What? what translation is that? And I said, it doesn't matter. It's in all the translations. But here's my translation, if you want. So so when I think of my friendship with DR, and I think of all the fun stories that we had, we had some amazing times. But stories, a lot of times, are the way that you can learn about life. You ever thought about that? That stories can teach you a lot about life. 
Sometimes you figure it out later, sometimes you figure it out sooner, but the stories are the real messengers of life, and, and God used stories through Jesus to help us better understand his genuine heart. And, and in that, there were true stories about Jesus' life in the Bible, and then when the Pharisees offended Jesus, and they said that he was doing his works by the power of Satan, Jesus said, Okay, what you're going to get is parables from me now. And parables are kind of like stories. They're not necessarily real, but they could be real. Make sense? So a parable is a way of me telling you something in a broader way than just telling you something bluntly. And he just wasn't going to speak to the Pharisees that way anymore after they said he did his, power by, he did his miracles by the power of Satan. But he would, he would get the disciples or the followers of the believers off to the side and he would explain to them more precisely what he was saying and that, that's important to know as your as matt was saying it's important to kind of understand the context and the sequence of things because once they said you're doing your miracles by the power of beelzebub the masses did not hear straightforward shooting they heard parables from that point on kind of as a preface before i jump into the the parable of the good samaritan is to kind of give you some backdrop things, which Rusty's been talking about for several weeks now, but I just want to repeat them. And just in case you hadn't been here, that you might kind of understand the backdrop and the sequence of how this story goes along. I think first, before you can understand this story, is you, under, you need to understand that the law, the law came so you would sin more. Okay? <laughs> the law did not come for you to obey or to, to fulfill. It came so you would send more. And again, if you're kind of doing like DR right now and you're wanting to say, whoa, 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 you can look at Romans 5.20 as an example of where God says that very clearly. There's other places, but I'll throw that one out there to you. And then if you take the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and Jesus' teaching, and you say, well, I want to just live out Jesus' teaching, Jesus was not teaching you how to live life. Jesus was teaching the law which came so you would send more. If you don't understand that you try to live out the law that Jesus is teaching you're going to have a very frustrated life and Paul said in Galatians 4 4 but at the right but when the right time came God sent his son born of a woman subject to the law Jesus was born under the law God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children Romans 7 says those of us who follow Jesus are not related to the law anymore. We're now related to God. And that's what Jesus came to do for us. So his teaching was basically throwing fuel on top of the law to make the law even bigger for those who were trying to obey the law so they would hopefully get to the point where they realized they couldn't fulfill the law themselves, but they needed a Savior to do it for them. That's a backdrop you need to understand before we jump into this story. I would say that uh, the law that Jesus taught was probably the strongest, most powerful form of the law in the whole Bible. And if, if you are trying to live that out, if you're trying to live out the Beatitudes, I trust you just seek his heart better because that that's a dead-end road to frustration right there, and, and it's going to make you a sad, sad soul. And if you can learn to see who Jesus really is, life's going to flow from you like never before. I just 
stories are so powerful to me, like the stories of my own life from what I've learned in the past and then how they help me kind of think through the future. It's an amazing thing to me. But I even look at Jesus' parables. I just see those as huge truth bombs. Like he, he drops one of those on the Pharisees, and they don't even know what hit them. There's just, there's just like debris everywhere, and they're still, they, they, they don't even know what to do with themselves when he throws out one of those parables. And so I had told Rusty a few weeks ago, I feel compelled to talk about the Good Samaritan, and as I was reading it and thinking about it over these past few weeks, uh, just the ideas and the truth that started resonating in my head just expanded so big that the time that we have today just wouldn't allow me to cover all the thoughts that God had kind of given me on these things. So I'm going to just throw out some thoughts as we go through it. And if you kind of, if I'm saying something you don't understand, don't be afraid to wave at me or something, and I can clarify as well. The uh, the Good Samaritan, like, have you, has, have any of you heard that story? Raise your hand if you've heard that story before. Okay. The Good Samaritan is, is a, it's a, it's a story of helping others, and there's even laws in the United States called Good Samaritan laws, and most people probably who don't know Christ don't even know what that law is about, like where that came from or how that name came about. But the, the story of the Good Samaritan is in Luke chapter 10, and even before we jump into the story, I need to give you a little more backdrop about that. So Israel is the, is the chosen bloodline where the Messiah was going to come down. And Israel had 12 tribes, okay, 12 different offspring from Jacob that, that made the tribes of Israel. And Levi was one of those tribes, okay? Levi was the priestly tribe within the 12 tribes, but not all of the people in that tribe were priests. It's kind of a math problem. Some of the people were priests, and some of them were maybe servants to the priest, but they were in the bloodline of Levi. And then there was Joseph, and Joseph had kind of disobeyed some of the rules that God had given him. One of those was not to marry foreign women. He did, and he had two children from an Egyptian wife, and those two children were named Ephraim and Manasseh, and on uh, Israel's deathbed, he gave the rights of Joseph, who was one of those 12 tribes, to his two sons, so technically there's roughly 13 tribes rather than just 12, and his two sons um, then are where the bloodline of the Samaritans come from. Did you follow that? So the other tribes, the people stayed and they married within that nation of Israel. But the uh, Joseph's bloodline, they were half-breeds, basically. That, that's critical to kind of understand the story here. And, and so if you can imagine the other 11 tribes, they looked down their nose on the Samaritans. The Samaritans were basically lowlifes to the rest of the nation of Israel. Okay. I was trying to think of a modern-day example of place where somebody is truly a lowlife. And I, I went and researched India. Like, I don't think they, they hide it there. There's, um, there's a cast of people called the untouchables that are literally lowlifes in that culture. And as, as sad as it is, there's over 200 million of those people who are lowlifes in India today. And that's the same type of scenario that you had going on with the Samaritans. Got me? Um, 
So, so you have these two towns. You have Jerusalem and Jericho. Jerusalem is where the temple was. That's where the sacrifices were made for the sins of the nation of Israel. And then you have Jericho, which is the, uh, I kind of saw it as the lake houses for the priests. That's where they would go hang out. They would go up and work in Jerusalem, but they would hang out down in Jericho. And Jericho is about 25 miles away from Jerusalem, a 25-mile walk. It's maybe just a few, it's probably 10 miles shorter than that as the bird flies. But as you and I would walk, it's a pretty good, healthy walk, and it drops about 3,300 feet from Jerusalem to Jericho. And the, the temperature changes dramatically in that drop so that, so that you may start off feeling like everything's fine, and then the further down into the desert you get, you may wish you would have brought some more water or, or things of that nature. That's the backdrop before we get into the story. And the story starts in Luke 10.30. But even before you get to Luke 10.30, you kind of got to kind of see the context of the story. There were 70 disciples that Jesus had sent out with his power by twos. Okay, he'd sent these people out. Go to the places where I'm going. Explain to them the Son of God's coming through. Explain to them the power of God. Not only explain it to them, show them the power of God. So these 70 disciples or followers of Christ are out there doing miracles and crazy stuff, healing people, and they did all that. Then they're coming back to kind of swap notes with Jesus, okay? They get back to swap notes, and they start saying, you cannot believe what happened. You can't believe. We, we had no idea that this power was there. And, and so I envision a group like this of these 70 people kind of telling these crazy stories. And then all of a sudden, this attorney stands up. And this is where the story really starts. And it says, um, verse 25, And a lawyer stood up and put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit life? So you see the context there? They're, saying, they're telling that, they're telling one another that Jesus is God because of all this crazy stuff we've seen, right? Like, they're going crazy talking about all this stuff. And then this guy stands up, um, what do I need for eternal life? And, he, and it says he put him to the test, right? And then it says, uh, and he said to him, what is written in the law? How does it read to you? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. Then the lawyer had to kind of cross-examine him again, and he said, but wishing to justify himself, he said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? You kind of see this whole dialogue? Like these guys had just gone out serving random people, blessing random people, people they didn't even know and this guy is saying who should i who should i love and they've just told him through their own actions so jesus is going okay let me tell you a little story here a little parable and he says jesus replied a man was going down from jerusalem to jericho and fell among the robbers and they stripped him and beat him and went away leaving him half dead and by chance a priest was going down the road and when he saw him he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. 
But a Samaritan who was on a journey came upon him, and when he saw him, he felt compassion and came uh, up to him and bandaged his wounds and putting oil and wine on them. He put him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. On the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, Take care of him, and whatever more you need, when I return, I will repay. Which of these two, which of these three do you think proved to be neighbor to the man who, was, who fell to the robber's hands? And he said, The one who showed mercy toward him. Then Jesus said to him, Go and do the same. Now as they were traveling along, they entered a village. I read that last little verse to put it in sequence there. This was just a matter-of-fact thing that happened in Jesus' life. Like, it just it happened, and now they're on the road again, right? And, and at the end of the book of John, it says, if, if, if we could record everything Jesus did, we, we wouldn't have enough room on the planet Earth to, to record it all. So this this Jesus, this God we serve, not only has given us life and the opportunity for it, but he lived an example of this ridiculous, unpredictable life. And so with all of that, I, I came up with a good 15 or 20 kind of takeaways, and you're not going to get those unless you call me later because we don't have time for all those. But I kind of, instead of doing them sequentially, I kind of prioritized them to the ones that kind of jumped out at me a little bit. And... Um, so, so when it says they went down from Jerusalem, actually Jericho is kind of north. They, they were, it was talking about they went down the mountain towards him, and then the the priest that would be like the that would be kind of like the the preachers of today. Like when he said the pre the priest crossed over the road and didn't help the guy that was hurt, he crossed over the the road, and and maybe he was trying to fulfill the law because there is a law that if you uh, touched a dead person that you you weren't clean for a period of time and that may have been his thought i don't know his motives but clearly jesus pointed out the priest and then he said okay let's broaden it a little bit to that same bloodline but somebody that maybe served the priest and the person who served the priest did the same thing crossed over to the other side of the road and then we're going to broaden the bloodline even a little bit more we're going to broaden it to a half breed right the one that you guys all can't stand so like the, the Pharisees in the room, would gone, their heads would just exploded when he made the hero of the story the Samaritan, right? So, so, so the hero is the Samaritan, and it's just a, it's mind-blowing that that's how quickly Jesus was able to express truth to people. And what I thought was really cool was uh, with the Esther song was the, the mercy like the, the winds of a, of a hurricane. Like, hear this this outcast person is is expressing the mercy of God to somebody that doesn't even know. Crazy. It's crazy. Uh, the first key observation uh, that I took away from this was he's, Jesus said, um, he said in verse 28, he said, you have answered correctly, do this and you will live. Do this and you will live. And living is more than consuming oxygen. Jesus said, I came that you might have life and have it more abundantly. And 
He said, if you can do this, you will live or you will experience this life that I have for you. And if you try to follow the law, the law is not where life is. The law is opposite of life. And that's what this, this lawyer was trying to figure out. How can I follow the law the best? And Jesus is just kind of contradicting him. You don't want to follow the law. You want to live. That's where you, that's where you want to find life. I will give you living water. And so um, that, that, that was not as simple of an instruction as what it might seem at first. But he said, if you can do this, you will live. And I think what he was prophesying there was there's a day where the law will be fulfilled in you, and that's because the Spirit of God will dwell in you. And that's the question you need to ask is, how does that happen? How do I get that Spirit living in me so I'll have life and have it more abundantly? That was one of the most profound observations to me. The second one that jumped out to me, and you guys can attest to me whether this is true in your own life, I just said it's nice to run into someone who has a dose of mercy. Don't you think? The, the hurricane wind's blowing, like in your time of need, your time of frustration, where you've just really screwed something up royally. I know none of you have done that, but follow me around, and you can see the mercy of God rolling over, uh, like those waves that are rolling over that down in the South Florida right now. And so, man, if, if you run into somebody that has a dose of mercy, they will change your life. They will express the love of God in a way that you've never seen before. And then... Uh, that that last verse right before Jesus told him the parable, it starts that verse and it says, um, but wishing to justify himself. That, that little clause, wishing to justify himself. I just said, trying to justify yourself is a bad and futile plan. You cannot justify yourself justification comes from a relationship with jesus christ and anytime you try to make excuses or try to figure out how to make yourself look better you're on the road to futility and finding the humility to realize that jesus is your life will save you from that waste of conversation waste of words anytime you try to defend something you did you're generally going to be wasting words you just need to rely on the, the living life of christ in you sounds sounds real simple to say that because a lot of times we just we're tempted to justify ourselves, but it, it's just a waste of time. The fourth observation that I had was that uh, asking the wrong question is foolish. He said, uh, um, so Jesus said, he said to Jesus that you should love the Lord your God uh, with all your strength and all your might. You love your neighbor as yourself. And if you look at that verse, the word love there is the most powerful form of the word love that the, that the Bible uses. It's agape love. Agape love is the love that fr- flows from God. It is unconditional love. Agape love does not flow from man. It, it flows from God. And to have agape love is impossible, in my opinion, without having God dwelling in you. So once you've trusted in Christ, Matt said, Romans 8, 11, the same spirit who raised Christ from the dead now comes and boom, is united with your spirit, and agape love is the natural love that you have at that point in time. 
But these people didn't have that then because it was before the cross, before the Spirit was sent. And so he tells him, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, all your soul, all your spirit, and, and love your neighbor as yourself. And the question he asked, well, who's my neighbor? The question he should have asked is, what is love? How do I get this kind of love? Not who's my neighbor. Because the law, the law always tries to do the least possible to get there. Right? Like, what's the minimum I can do? It's a pass-fail test. What's the minimum I can do? Like, who can I narrow my neighbors down to? And he's saying, that's, that's the wrong question. The question is, what is love? And that those of you who have Christ have that love. And that's just natural how you live. He said, he said that uh, that's how you have eternal life, is to love your neighbors. And what that does today is you love your neighbors, you love God, and you love yourself. It doesn't get you eternal life. It expresses the eternal life you have. Makes sense? To have agape love, unconditional love for God, to have unconditional love for your friends, to have unconditional love from yourself, is the result of having Christ in you. It's not the cause of having him in you. And so you have that flowing through. You have that potential. So when God lets you down because he didn't do, he didn't get you that new shiny car that you wanted or whatever he lets you down with, you, you can get past that. When God lets you down because a loved one dies that you didn't expect to die, you can get past that because that love dwells in you. When you, get, when you feel like you're not enough, you can get past that because God said that he's given you everything you need for life and godliness. And so that love is just what brews and makes you who you are. The last thing I'll throw out there to you is right before the Ten Commandments, there's a verse that says the sins of the fathers will be passed down to the third and the fourth generations. That's not a curse from God. That's a reality of just the way life works. That if your family models a certain type of thing for you, it's most likely that's what you're going to model for your family behind you, and then they'll model it for their family behind them. Make sense? And so this whole picture, while Jesus is making this explosion happen, is these priests and these Levites and the the Jewish Pharisees, they thought they were the coolest people because of their bloodline. Like, we got this all figured out because we're the right bloodline. These Samaritans, they're the low-life losers, right? Right? And the, the ones who were deceived were the ones that thought they had it all figured out because of their bloodline. Because we all are of the bloodline of Adam before we trust Christ, and all of our bloodlines are polluted by sin. And so when I say the sins of your parents don't define you, that's the thought maybe I'd like you to take away today, is the sins of the past that may have infiltrated your own situation, they don't have to define your future. The Samaritan, the good Samaritan, was not defined by the reputation of the Samaritans. It's great news. It is unbelievable news. And if you can be bold enough to trust that, to claim it, and to even let your bloodline up above you and behind you know that's what your choice is, I have a feeling you'll see, you'll see changes for generations. 
that if instead of identifying as a, a Jewish, a Levite, a priest, or defining yourself as a Samaritan, you say, you know what, my bloodline now is Jesus. I'm a follower of Jesus, and I don't care what happened in the past. As we go forward, we're going to walk this way, and that's what we're going to do for me, myself, and my family. Lord, thank you for the good news of the, the Samaritan who expressed mercy like a hurricane, Lord. I, I just, I, I can't even imagine that guy. I don't even have the nerve a lot of times to pull over for somebody that's got a flat tire, let alone uh, some dude that's been knocked half dead on the side of a, a desert trail, Lord. That is, that's just an unbelievable expression of mercy and love. And yet we know that as you stir within our hearts as followers of yours, our expression of that type of love will look different for each one of us, Lord, that each of us can express the love of God relative to our unique personalities that you've given us, relative to our particular circles of influence, and that we might look to the future with hope, Lord, and we might trust your spirit to really give us that life that Jesus talked about in this parable. Thank you again for letting us hang out today, and thank you that you are God. Amen.